as you probably understand from Sharon's children's lesson this morning, we are going to be in 1 Samuel. We're actually going to be looking at chapters 25 and 26. Don't worry, we're not reading all of both of them. We're not actually reading all of either of them. In 24, we have this, this story about David sparing Saul. A story we looked at last week. You know, there David and his, and his men are out in the wilderness, and Saul comes into this cave where they are hiding, unknown to Saul, to um, relieve himself. And um, David sneaks up on him and cuts a corner of his cloak. Could have risen his hand, raised, raised his hand. That's the, that's the right tense of that verb. Raised his hand against Saul, but does not. Spares Saul. And then in, in chapter 26, we have a very similar story, except this time, David actually sneaks into Saul's camp and spares him, sneaks up on him, and his men are like, this is the moment, this is the time. Take your spear and plunge it into him and end this. And David says, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And so again, he, he takes from Saul so that Saul knows that he was there, so that David, so Saul can know that David spared him. And so that's in 24 and 26. And in 25, we have the story of Nabal and Abigail and David. And what we see is that this story is, is a bit of a, of a hinge between these two encounters. What we see, have seen already, and especially in chapter 24, is that David and Saul are very different. They're polar opposites. Saul is concerned about his reputation and his name and his kingdom, whereas David is concerned about the glory of God and resting in the sovereignty of God and the steadfast love of God. And so, and so we, we, that's where we are today. We're going to read a, a little bit of chapter 25. We're going to read a couple of verses from chapter 26. So we're going to read, um, and starting in chapter 25, we're going to start with verse 32 and read through 38, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 26 and read verses 9 and 10. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? 1 Samuel chapter 25, starting with verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. May your discernment be blessed and may you be blessed. Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who prevented me from harming you if you had not come quickly to meet me? Nabal wouldn't have had any males left by morning light. Then David accepted what she had brought to him and said, Go home in peace. See, I have heard what you said and have granted your request. Then Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was in his house holding a feast fit for a king. Nabal's heart was cheerful, and he was very drunk. 
So she did not say anything to him until morning light. In the morning, when they all sobered up, his wife told him about these events. His heart died and he became a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal dead. Jumping over to chapter 26, verses 9 and 10. They are in the camp of Saul. They are standing over Saul's sleeping body. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can lift a hand against the Lord's anointed and be innocent? David added, As the Lord lives, the Lord will certainly strike him down. Either his day will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. This is the Word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear God, as we open Your Word this morning, as we look at this record of this man who we know was a man after Your own heart, as we look to see the the lessons that he learns from Abigail, God, I pray that, that we would learn the same lessons. That we would learn to trust You as totally and completely and fully as David did. That we would trust in You in all things, today, tomorrow, and every day there is to come. God, as we open Your Word and as we study it this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to You, our God and our King. Amen. You may be seated. I want to be very clear, it is not my original thought that chapter 25 serves as a, as a pivot. I have to give credit where credit is due to the theologian and commentator David Firth. But, but he, he points, and he, and he points to specifically those verses that we just read in chapter 26 and compares it to, to where David had been in chapter 24. He spares Saul in chapter 24, but, but his words and his attitudes are different in 26. But, but by the time we come to this to this incident where David is standing over Saul's sleeping body in Saul's own camp, David knows without a doubt that God is his defender and his source of strength. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that Yahweh will protect him and that God will be the one to mete out justice against Saul. David has come to understand that violence is not the answer to his troubles with Saul, but that rather he should trust in God's providential care. And where does David learn this lesson? He, he learns this lesson in this confrontation, or almost confrontation, between him and Nabal and the intervention of Nabal's wife, Abigail. You know, Nabal is a lot like Saul. He's, he's greedy. He's not a, a terribly nice person. In fact, we see in, in, verse, uh, in verse 3 of chapter 25, the man's name was Nabal and his wife's name Abigail. 
The woman was intelligent and beautiful, but the man, a Calebite, was harsh and evil in his doings. Nabal's not a, not a great guy. There's a lot of similarities between him and Saul. And so, we see this confrontation coming. As, as Sharon alluded to, you know, David, David goes in and asks for these food from Nabal and has reason to ask. We'll get there in a, in a second. He's not just asking because. There's a, a reason for him to ask. And, and when he is denied, he, he takes 400 of his men, leaves 200 behind, takes 400 of his men, tell them to strap on their swords, man, we are going Nabal hunting. But it's through Abigail and through the intervention of this as the Scripture says, intelligent and beautiful woman, that David learns once and for all, finally and fully, the lesson of trusting in God's providential care. We, we see this development in David's faithfulness with God. This is a, a moment when he learns that he can ultimately trust in the Lord rather than in his own strength. See, if you read the story, David and Nabal are business partners. Nabal has all of these sheep, this, these huge flocks, and he sends them out into the wilderness where David is. And David and his men have been protecting them. They are running, honestly, a little bit of a protection racket. But they're in business together. They're, they're in a partnership. David knows how risky shepherding can be. If we think back to the story of David and Goliath, right? David tells all of the things that he's had to do to protect his father's sheep. And so they appear to have entered into this partnership in fact, even Nabal's own men in verse 16 describe David and his men as having been a wall around us both day and night. David's presence in the area has been nothing but positive for Nabal. And see, it's, it's customary at the time that the shearing comes for, the, for the, the owner of the flock to dole out gifts. Thank you for everything that you have done to help me and my sheep get to what is, for shepherds, the harvest time. And so when David sends, sends one of his men in to ask, it is not like he's coming in as a beggar with his hand out. He's coming in with the expectation that he will be paid for services rendered. It should be a, a simple, easy, straightforward, courteous transaction. But, as we read in verse 3, Nabal is harsh and evil in his doings. As his wife will point out later, his name even means fool. Not, not great. And so what should be a simple and easy, just sort of average, normal, run-of-the-mill transaction very quickly turns into a major problem. 
Because he not only does Nabal deny David's request, which on its face would be rude enough, but he goes on to send this insult, insult back to David. David. David, who I've never heard of David, he just sounds like a runaway slave walking around with his hand out. Maybe he should go back to where he came from. He's trying to scam me out of my hard-earned money. Now, many of us know what it is to be asked for, for a handout and for help. Some of us know what it's like to be asked a lot. And I would say that, that there is a responsibility to be thoughtful in how one responds to requests. But what we have here from Nabal is not, not sort of a, a thoughtfulness or, or even sort of a, a, a stinginess no, what he, what he has, what he does is, a, is an unwarranted, uncalled for, unnecessary slap in the face. Nabal shames David. Sharon, in talking this morning with Adeline, Sharon said that, that David may have been embarrassed. I'm going I'm to revise that. There's no may. David was embarrassed. This is, an, this is an honor and a shame culture. And, and Nabal has shamed, publicly shamed David, and it, it cannot go unanswered. By the rules of their culture, it, it must be addressed. And so that's when he takes his 400 men, he tells them to put on their swords, and he heads into Nabal. Now luckily... Nabal might be harsh and foolish and mean, and his wife is everything that is the opposite. And she hears about what has happened. Luckily, one of Nabal's men, who had been out in the fields, in the pastures, um, with the sheep, who knows what David has done, comes to her and tells her what has happened and what's going on, and says it's not right for Nabal to treat David this way. David has done so much for us, it's not right for him to be treated this way by Nabal. And so Abigail says, don't worry about it. I will take care of it. In fairness, the shepherd's also probably worried that David's going to respond the way that David is responding. <laughs> and let me just tell you, in, in that time, and in that culture, the, 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 the shepherd would be expected to defend the household of his employer, of his master. And I don't know about you, but you probably would not want to uh, go toe-to-toe with heavily armed, highly trained, desperate, hungry, elite soldiers when you're standing between them and supper. Two places you never want to be. One of them is between a soldier and his next meal. And so Abigail says, okay, I, I think I can fix this. I think that I can handle this. And so she, she gathers together what David had requested. Doesn't tell Nabal, just does it. And, and runs out, sends men out in front of her to see David, and then she comes to David herself, and, 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 and she comes to David and she says, don't do this. 
Don't do here. Here is what you asked for. Here is what is rightly yours. Don't don't do this. Don't do don't don't engage in this bloodshed. Look, God God's going to take care of you. You don't have to take care of yourself. God's going to take care of it. She was intelligent and beautiful, and Nabal was a fool. And we see as we continue the story that God does take care of it. Chapter 25 continues and shows us this development of David's faithfulness with a God. This opportunity to trust in God. And so he stops himself from vengeance. Spares the life not only of all of the men of Nabal's household, but probably many of his own men as well. And then we see what happens. That when Nabal discovers and finds out what has happened, what has transpired, what, what his wife has saved him from, he is struck dead. After he is struck dead, after Abigail is widowed, David takes Abigail as his wife. He marries her. The, she, she is mentioned other times in Scripture, but this is the only story we get of her. This is the reason that she is in David's life. Because she was the instrument that God used to teach David to trust in the Lord alone. We we cannot miss here that this is a correction of David. David needs to learn God's ways. You know, he, he in 24, right? He's this great guy who doesn't strike Saul when he has the opportunity. He doesn't do this stuff. And then right in the next chapter, right, he's this, he's this image of vigilante justice. I'm going to take matters into my own hands in my own time. The same man who, who stops a mob from killing the king in chapter 24 is the man leading the mob in chapter 25 against the man who has slighted him. It should not surprise us that David has this lapse in faithfulness. We all can lapse in our faithfulness. This is why we need community. You know, David is this, is this famous figure, a household name, a, a folk hero by this point. Everybody knows who he is. And who is Abigail? Abigail is a relative nobody. And, and yet... David needs Abigail to point out his failures. Without Abigail, David has the potential to be no better than Saul or Nabal. Too often when we seek the will of God in our lives, we ignore two major gifts that God has given us. The first thing that we all too often ignore is the Word. Too many of us give lip service to the Word and don't let it speak into our lives. Too many of us tell ourselves and others that, that we believe this and yet we never open it. 
Never read from it. Never study it. Never spend time with it. The second thing that we can ignore, and perhaps even more of us ignore this than Scripture, is the wise counsel of other believers. Countless sin and major episodes of foolishness have been preceded by Christian believers praying about a situation and then acting on their feelings. In seminary, my Old Testament professor, Dr. Biddle, told this story. He was a student at Samford University, which is a a Baptist school in Birmingham, uh, Alabama. He was a student at at Samford, um, and uh, they were getting ready for finals week, and they were in the library. They were studying for finals. And he notices that somebody is going from from person to person, little group to little group, through the library and leaning over and whispering something to them and moving on. And, and as he, as after the person moves on, the, the people will sit there and enter into a mode of prayer and then get up and leave the library. And he, you know, he's beginning to think, what's going on? What has happened? What has happened that this person is coming through and giving us this news that's causing all of these people to pray? And then the person finally comes to Dr. Biddle and he leans over and he says, I hear the donut shop is still open. Do you want to go get donuts? As Dr. Biddle pointed out, he said, I've never, I've never known God to tell someone in prayer not to go get donuts. But we can do that, right? We can pray about a situation and then just do what it is that we want to do. Thinking that it is the will and the Word of God. But, but God has given the church as an instrument, as the instrument that God uses to answer prayers. We should pray for guidance frequently and earnestly, but we must also recognize our prayers, find God's responses through the wise words and actions of Christian brothers and sisters. We are not believers alone. We are believers together in fellowship, in family, and in the church. Believers who make terrible decisions almost always do so in isolation from good counsel. They go into their prayer closet alone and come out convinced that they are right and don't run it by anybody else. Like David, even the strongest of us is liable to forget what we know to be true and lunge forward toward our own solutions. We can come to a a crossroad in our marriage or our job or our finances and instead of truly seeking the Lord in prayer, seeking the Lord in Scripture, and seeking the Lord and counsel from those other believers who know the Word of God, we just plow on ahead by ourselves. It should come then as no surprise that cutting ourselves off from the body only leads to ruin and destruction. In much of our study so far of 1 Samuel, at least since we have met David, we have needed to remind ourselves that we are not David. Because David displays a faithfulness that reminds us of Christ. That David points us to Christ. But in this story, I think we would be well served to see ourselves in David. A man forgetful of God's grace and in need of a community to correct him. 
May God be merciful to us and give us the ears to hear all of the Abigails in our lives. And I, I just want to point out, I just want to point out, we know what the Word says about those who are to lead in God's church. But I want to say this to the men. Men, too often we dismiss the voice of the wise women in our lives. Too often we dismiss the Abigails in our lives because they're Abigails and not Andy's. God used a beautiful, wise woman to correct David. So just as a, as a brief aside, do not dismiss godly women in your life because they are women. Finally and ultimately, whom do we trust as our defender? Do we trust the Lord or do we trust ourselves? This is the, this is the, the question of the gospel. Are we going to trust God to save us? Or are we going to recognize that the work has already been done and that we are saved by faith alone, in grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone? Who shall we trust? Shall we trust ourselves? Or shall we trust God? This is how David answers that beginning of Psalm 18. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my mountain where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I was saved from my enemies. There is no greater enemy than the enemy of sin and death. And you wish to be saved from that enemy. Cast yourself at the foot of the cross of Jesus and allow Him to save you. Our hymn of invitation this morning is going to be 317 only trust Him.